I'll be watching you, Newton. I only came here to do two things, man. Kick some ass and drink some beer. <laughs> it's like we're almost out of beer. <laughs> Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Hogwash and Hooey with Doug and Randy, where lifelong buddies connect to discuss all things life and dilute themselves into thinking people actually care what they have to say. Here's your hosts, Doug and Randy. Hey friends, welcome to this episode of Hogwash and Hooey. I am half of your hosting dynamic duo here with my sidekick, the Robin to my Batman, the Crockett to my Tubbs, the Screech to my Zach, Douglas Esquire, the third love and good. What's up, love? Hey, bro. It's good to see you again, man. Look at this. Two times in, in how many weeks? I feel like we're, we're on a roll. I know. We're back on the, <laughs> uh, we're back on track. I think. Is, it, is this number 13 or is this number 12? It is. I wasn't going to say it because uh, we all know unlucky number 13 oh, but it's yeah. our it's our first episode with a guest and so i didn't want to jinx it and that's anything, right but you may have done that that's okay if, if this you episode name it, if you if name it then it's not a thing anymore right oh that's true yeah oh, something there there's a it's a biblical concept i think isn't it yeah for sure for Maybe. sure um Matthew. hey friends thank you so much for joining us today we're really excited it's our first uh, episode of actually having a guest uh, a friend of the show our friend ryan is joining us and uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about his uh, experience with the a police force in the greater seattle area and then his history and, and time in the military before that and then just talk through some um obviously top of mind policing issues that we're seeing nationally and that we just really appreciate him joining us and getting his insight. So, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. I'm uh, excited to be here. This is cool. I've been listening to you guys since since day one. Day, day one. one. Man, you're one of the uh, originals. Right. OG, man. <laughs> well, Ryan, if, will you do us a favor and just give us a little bit of your background um, yeah, kind of where you started. We, we know you from college. Uh, we went to Western with you and, and yeah. a little bit before, but kind of maybe give us your background and what you've been doing since then. Yeah. So, um, in, I, I graduated from Western in 2000, late 2001. And, uh, in 2002, um, I got hired by a police department here in the greater Seattle area and stayed there. We you know went through the Academy. The Academy is, uh, several months long and ends up being like 720 hours. Uh, finished that up, um, was a patrol officer at my agency for a little under 18 months. And, you know, March of 2003 occurred and that's when the uh, Iraq war kicked off and I'd always wanted to go into the army and, uh, I, I decided to do it, man. I pulled the trigger, no pun intended on that. And, um, went into the military enlisted into the army and did that for four years uh any, with the go ahead uh, any particular um area of the army anything go ahead I yeah think you're starting to go that, that yeah, route. yeah 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 i was uh um i was with the uh, second ranger battalion at jvlm so uh airborne infantry guy um got a chance to go over to iraq and afghanistan um and experience that uh did that for, I, did, I only did four years active duty, man. I, I got a lot of my buddies that I was in the um, 
the platoon that I was in, they, they, they stayed on for six, seven, eight, 10, 12 years. Uh, I only did four years active duty. Um, and then uh, got out of there, went back to the police department that I was working for. And I've been in law enforcement ever since. So. Hey Ryan, that's, it's super interesting that you came right out of college and you went right into public service. Um, how did you, how were you drawn to that? What, what was, what got you pointed in that direction? Do you think? Yeah, you know, um, I, I'd be lying if I told you that I had this great desire to uh, help people. That was there. That was part of it. That was, certainly was. But I wanted to drive fast and carry a gun, man. I mean, that, honestly, that was part of it. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to put bad guys in jail. And yeah. um, that, those three things, kind of those three components, um, you know, as a, 22, 23, 24 year old kid. And I mean, kid, cause you know, I'm, I'm 20 years removed from that now, but uh, you know, that that's what I wanted to do. And so that's kind of, that was a big driving force for me to, to get into law enforcement. And um, you know, I, I always played soldier when I was a kid and, you know, you know, played guns and gun wars with my buddies in the uh, growing up. And um, so the, the military was, I don't think it was much of a surprise to many people that knew me. So, yeah. You, you, you had mentioned um, at that time at 23, 22, 23 years old, coming out of school, obviously, you know, you kind of, any of us at that time, you've got that macho bravado. You have always been athletic, um, involved in various martial arts and different things like that. So that's always kind of been part of it. You're, your uh, lifestyle, but do you think, is that pretty typical, a pretty typical mindset of young men specifically, maybe young women as well, when they decide to go into the police force um, at that age? Is that, is there some of that? I mean, you probably in some ways have to be right. Cause you're putting yourself in harm's way. There's gotta be some, some level of uh, self-assuredness, bravado, et cetera, going into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's certainly part of it. It, it you know, in, in law enforcement, we get uh, people from all walks of life and people from um, uh, from everywhere under the sun. And so you, you don't necessarily get always those, uh, the macho men or kind of the tougher women that want to come in and uh, serve their community, you get all kinds of people. And so some people that uh, don't have athletic skill sets uh, and, or, or that aren't very fit, unfortunately, um, cause I, I'm huge on fitness. I think that's a, I'm a big proponent that if you're going to be out in the field, uh, wearing a police badge or, um, wearing a, a police, um, patch on your shoulder that you got to be able to take care of yourself. And, and more importantly, um, take care of those, your citizenry and your community at large and the people around you, right. That mm-hmm. will no question be um, expecting you to do so. So uh, yeah, all, people from all walks of life, man, really. Did, did the time then, because um, how old were you or how long have you been involved with the police force prior to enlisting or going into yeah. the army and, and Rangers? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was only, so I did it backwards, man. I, I joined the, the police department I uh, got trained up, was an officer, um, off of training and good standing, whatever. And then I went into the military. So I was only a, I was only a cop for a little under 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I, I had to resign the agency that I was at and enlist into the army. 
um, and then came back to it. Luckily, they, they, they welcomed me back. So I kind of got lucky there. Um, so it wasn't very long, but I, I, I'm working on, uh, let's see, it was 2002. So yeah, 19, working on 19 years, 20 years in, yeah. in, in total, including my military time. Did that, did that time in uh, pre-military, the 18 months, did that prep you, do you feel like, for uh, your, your time in the military? Is there some training that is, is helpful or makes that an easier transition than if you do it, say, right out of school? And, uh, and then vice versa, when you came out of the military, were you better prepped, do you think, to do your job uh, in the capacity that you are now? Yeah, I, I would say an absolute uh, yes on that. Um, going into the military at age 20, so I think it would have been 24, if I remember, yeah, going in and listing at 24 years of years of age, all of my peers were seven, well, some were 17, but 18, 19, 20. And so I had life experience um, that these dudes didn't have, they, they hadn't experienced yet. A lot of the guys are straight out of high school, right? And so having four years of college, um, and then a little bit of life experience after post-college, right? And having some of the contacts that I had in law enforcement really um, helped me and preps me for um, some of the things that training that I had to deal with. And then just like stress inoculation, right? I mean, the 18-year-olds coming straight out of high school, they're kind of like dumbfounded and, and you know, wide-eyed and they didn't know what to do in some of our training and whatnot. So you um, yeah. I haven't heard that term before. Stress inoculation. Is that mm -hmm. what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, that? yeah. So going through uh, some of the stressful incidents that I had. And again, I was I was only a cop for eight. You know, like I said, it was ended up being, I think, 15 or 16 months. Mm -hmm. um, so I was only a cop for a short period of time. But having some of the semi stressful calls for service that I went to and that I went to kind of inoculated me to a little bit of that to the to the stress that I would see in training in the army. Right. And basic training and uh, drill sergeants yelling at you and getting in your face. And, you know, I had um, tech officers in the academy that were um, yelling at me and getting in my face a little bit. So it wasn't my first rodeo, if you will. I mean. The military, I mean, you can't really say they're same because they're not. They're totally two different uh, career fields, but uh, there are some similarities. You know what I'm saying? So sure, it was definitely helpful. And then the, 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 to follow up on your second piece there, yeah, ha having the military service and being deployed and um, being on, uh, you know, multiple combat deployments and seeing what I saw overseas and then going back to uh, the community that I was uh, um worked for uh, prior to the military. Yeah, that was super helpful. I mean, it was just yeah. night and day and uh, really prepared me for um, any of the dangerous incidents. Well, that we would call dangerous in law enforcement, right? It's different being in, you know, uh, Baghdad or, or Iraq um, than it is being in, in the community that I worked in. So yeah, yeah, it definitely prepared me. I would say absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, Doug, you, yeah. had a, you had a question. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Ryan. So you now have been a police officer for going on 19, 19 years, and there has been a lot of kind of change in the community, I think, where you work, number one, but then also across the country. Um, I would like to hear your thoughts on maybe we all we all know what happened, you know, last May. But prior to that, leading up to that, what kind of experiences did you have with just seeing um, people's perceptions of police officers changing, shifting, 
I, I would just like to hear your, your opinions and thoughts on, on how things have changed and, and um, yeah, kind of go from there. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, I think where I first started to see a distinct change in citizenry's behavior or, you know, the, the, the behavior of the community at large and uh, was really uh, um, the post Ferguson, Missouri. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, officer Darren Wilson shot um, Michael Brown. Is it Michael Brown? Is that right? Yeah. yeah, Michael Brown. Um, I wanted to say Michael Brown that I, I was just realizing, oh, shoot, is that the right name? Yeah. And then the whole hands up, don't shoot. And the kind of the Ferguson effect, right? And the, the, the officers were um, vilified. And I mean, officers across the country. Um, they were uh, essentially judged without having any interaction with the person that's judging them, right? And they were, they were judged because of the uniform they wear. And that was um, when I first started to uh, kind of notice. And, and I believe that was, I want to say 2014. I could have that wrong, but that was, if I remember correctly, I think that was 14 or 15 when that occurred. And that's kind of when I first started noticing um, kind of a, a, a real, um, I guess, like a distaste for law enforcement. Um, you know, you, you would contact people and they would immediately start saying things and just be like, whoa, what, what, what's happening here? You know, I, I, I just initiated a, a regular traffic stop because you had expired tabs. And now um, you're saying that I'm racist or you're saying that I'm treating you unfairly or whatever the case may be. Um, so that happened a few times. And that's kind of what I, when I first noticed it. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's kind of been since um, the uh, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin incident that it's kind of been on high speed a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's tough, man. That's tough. I've had a couple um, really interesting incidents uh, within the past couple of years uh, at the agency that I'm with now. And um, it's difficult. It, it, you, you walk away from these incidents where people are calling you racist and you literally have spoken two words to them, three words to them and um, trying to get through to them and, and maybe have them see that you are a person, you're not a robot. You just, cause you wear a uniform and a badge that, uh, that doesn't mean that you are fitting the, the bill that the, the media may have them believe. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah, so that, that's been a lot of it, man. Um, and you know, things have even changed even more and become even more difficult for law enforcement here in Washington state. Um, are you guys familiar with the new, um, Washington state congressional bills that were, uh, put into effect on July 25th. I'm familiar, but why can you explain for our, for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So the Washington state legislature in their infinite wisdom, uh, decided to pass some bills into law, uh, uh that went into effect on July 25th. And it, it totally changes everything that, um, law enforcement does. Um, so in, if you could imagine, there's kind of like a, uh, think of a spectrum, right. And, and, when, when law enforcement shows up to the scene of a crime or they're investigating a crime, they're trying to figure out what is going on, who's who in the zoo, what has occurred here. Um, you, you have on the, on the very left side of that spectrum, you would have essentially law enforcement presence and, and a very minimal um, effect or, or um, influence on what is occurring. 
And then at about, uh, I don't know, a quarter of the way up of the spectrum, you have something called reasonable suspicion, right? Reasonable suspicion is essentially um, stems from the landmark Supreme Court case in the 60s, Terry v. Ohio. Um, essentially, if, uh, if, you know, if, we're all, if we're all law enforcement officers and we, there are certain circumstances or things that are occurring in our presence that would lead us to believe that crime is afoot, is what they call it, is, is, the, is the definition, then we can detain people, we can stop them, we can use our lawful authority to figure out, hey, what the heck's going on here? Um, who is responsible and we can use if we believe that crime is occurring um, prior to July 25th, we could use force to detain people. Right. So um, if we didn't have probable cause, which is facts and circumstances that would lead a reasonable officer to believe that the person you're speaking to has committed said crime or a crime has occurred um, and we can make an arrest. Right. And so that would be kind of halfway down that spectrum. Right. Um, then we, we, for reasonable suspicion specifically, we could use force to detain people. Well, now, post-July 25th of this year, obviously, um, we can't use force. So this is already, unless you have probable cause, so this has already reared its ugly head down in Pierce County where there's a homicide. And these Pierce County deputies, um, Someone was fleeing from the scene and it ended up being the suspect, but they didn't know that. Now, pre-July 25th, they would have chased that car. They would have initiated a pursuit. If somebody was running, they would have been able to stop that person, um, do a dog track, um, grab onto that person and stop them physically. They aren't able to do that legally. That's illegal in Washington state for police officers to use force at the level of reasonable suspicion. So what... Sorry, before yeah. you finish no, that. Go. So yeah. when you say it's illegal, what does that mean if indeed you were to do it or a police officer was um, to use force in something where they have reasonable or in that situation, say where that person's, but they don't have reasonable evidence or suspicion. I'm not forgetting probable cause. Yeah. Probable cause. Yep. Um, what, what would the uh, penalty be or or how would that be pursued by district attorneys or who, who would? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, it's a really good question. And um, all we know at this point is that we potentially, potentially, now the likelihood that that would occur is, is I don't know, but we prospectively could be brought up on um, some sort of criminal charge because we had, um, I don't know if it would be infringing upon their rights or whatever the case would be, but the um, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson has made it clear that um, these are the new laws and we need to abide by these laws or potentially face the consequences. Um, it gets a little bit more murky now, if you guys can stick with me here. The Criminal Justice Training Commission, which is the entity in Washington State that certifies all police officers, um, is creating a committee that can look at the actions and the behaviors of police officers in Washington state. So with the authority to potentially decertify a police officer, if they have um, committed one of these crimes or they've used force um, during reasonable suspicion and not at probable cause, um, uh, if they had uh, done something that would essentially be um, that had violated these new laws that are, that are on the books now. Um, it is 
super frustrating for us. We have had uh, some in-service training um, lately at my agency to get us all schooled up on the new laws. Um, and it changes the game for us. And it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, that's a dramatic change in policing, I would think, especially for somebody that's been doing it one way for 19 years. That's got to be a pretty challenging adjustment. Just that reflex, especially in those moments where you don't necessarily have a lot of time to think. You kind of right. react just from experience and muscle memory. And you really got to be, I would assume, on guard, especially if they're talking about criminal penalties for. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's uh, I th- a lot of police officers take on the whole these new bills that have gone into effect is that uh, the legislature is trying no doubt in my mind that they're trying to protect the Washington state citizens. No doubt in my mind. I believe that. I, I believe they have good intentions. I think their execution is flawed or, or is uh, inappropriate. Um, all of my peers, all of my, my, the people that I work with, my coworkers, they don't want to do anything unlawful. They're not looking to infringe on people's civil rights. They don't want to hurt people. All of them every single one of them. So it's really frustrating that we feel like our hands are tied um, and we have to be very, very careful in what we do. Um, And it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating because we don't want to be, we don't want to be sued civilly, but also we don't want to be charged criminally. Right. And so uh, it's, it's just a, it's a whole new ball game, if you will, man. It's a lot of the rules have changed and, and the, the left and right limits, left and right limits, have been uh, modified, and we're still trying to figure out what we can and cannot do. And the the frustrating thing is, is that uh, people are going to be hurt, injured, and and probably killed because of it. And there's going to be suspects, homicide suspects, that are going to get away because we don't have probable cause for their arrest. We certainly would like to detain them and and utilize and exercise our um, our abilities under reasonable suspicion, but now that's been removed from us. Uh, and, and there's like uh, pursuits, like vehicle pursuits, which are inherently dangerous, absolutely. Uh, I've never been in a pursuit, but they are inherently dangerous. I got buddies that have been in uh, lots of them. Those are, those are no longer an option now. You can't pursue unless it's absolute imminent threat to um, the persons or the, the public around. So, um, so drawing yeah. that drawing that clear distinction, you talked about the spectrum, right? So now you've yeah. you've got this reasonable suspicion versus probable cause. Uh, I imagine you've talked about some in-service days. The type of training that you need to receive, that the general uh, police officer needs to receive on these particular issues, and drawing the distinction, is that is that something that that the government is offering you more than just like an hour or two here or there? There. No. Because those, those to me, when I think of reasonable suspicion versus probable cause, there is a distinction and it's sometimes hard to find. And it probably varies based on the situation you find yourself in as a police officer. Right, right. So the, the, when we show up to um, a scene or, or a call um, and you know something is going on based upon your training experience and, and um, everything that you have uh, gone through years prior, right? Um Usually people are detained, right? Especially if it's a crime of violence, right? And you don't know exactly what's going on. Like I said, who's who in the zoo? Who's responsible for what? Uh, You detain persons and then start investigating, right? You start your interviews and figure out, hey, what's going on? And then you learn more. Then 
you may or may not develop what's called the, the what we talked about, right? The probable cause, mm -hmm. um, facts and circumstances that would lead a reasonable officer to believe that a crime is committed um, or a crime was committed or whatever the case may be. Uh, yeah, and so there's no, our agency is responsible. My agency is responsible for uh, providing this training and uh, they're not receiving any additional funding. Um, it, so it is difficult and there's lots of frustrated people right now. And, you know, you've got lots of officers that were near the retirement age that are deciding that, no, that's it. I'm going to hang it up. This is not normal. Um, I don't have to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. And so, sure. uh, they're deciding to, um, go ahead and retire a little bit early. Uh, but th those two concepts of reasonable suspicion and probable cause we're well-versed in. And we're familiar with it's just what we can do when we're at each respective stage has totally changed. See, I see. And okay. uh, so that's that's the frustrating part. Right. And if you go if you go past on that spectrum to the spectrum uh, piece again, if you go keep continuing right down that spectrum, then you would have um, uh, what, what is it? Preponderance of the evidence and then proof beyond reasonable doubt. Right. And then confirmation. And it, so that's kind of helps me when I'm talking to newer officers is to uh, talk about the spectrum yeah. analogy. And um, uh, that's used somewhat frequently in the industry. So. Yeah, that's super insightful. I, I did not realize or understand that. That's uh, what, what do you think then if you had to are looking at it, is there with the, with the new laws that have been in place and will be in place and, and that's kind of your new paradigm is there any pros that you can see with it or is it mostly from your position? Is it mostly cons? Obviously it makes it much more difficult to do your job, but if I'm looking at it as the layperson, as a citizen, I guess it, it increases the likelihood that the citizens um, constitutional rights won't be violated, but there is no way that there is a negative um, outcome. Whereas criminals get away uh, it's more difficult to to catch a perpetrator at the time, more time and energy and efforts and money are spent um, after the fact trying to prove a crime and then track down a perpetrator and get a conviction and all that stuff. So it seems to me like the negatives, uh, at least for the state and the citizenry, somewhat outweighs the positives. So do you, do you have any sense of what the, the mindset would be between our legislature and you know, Bob Ferguson and others that, that think this move is the right one? And, and how much of it is a political move due to what we've seen for the last 18 months and the marching in the streets and a lot of that? How much of it is a result of that versus what's actually in everybody's best interest? Yeah, so um, it, my opinion on that is it's absolutely politically driven. Um, I think uh, these legislators who are responsible and who kind of authored these bills have um, grand ideas. They want to be, um, I don't know, senators, governor. They want to move up in public office, uh, political office. Um, Bob Ferguson probably aspires to do something very similar. It, it is, uh, I don't think that, yeah, I think there are very, very few positives to this. And, and I think that the attempt I honestly believe in their heart of hearts, they think they're doing the right thing, but they did not um, speak with any law enforcement officials about it. They didn't yeah. say, hey, this is what we want to do. The bottom line is they're trying to decrease the, the, the uses of force 
across the state. Mm-hmm. Now, th- th- I'm reading all these articles and, and, and th- th- they're saying that Washington state is, has lost their mind in regards to law enforcement. Washington state is trying something that has never been tried in law, enfor- in law enforcement's history. Um, is that Washington not something state, other states are doing? Is this unique? Are we the first to- We are, we are oh, the only state. Every, every other 49, all the other 49 states, uh, the law enforcement officials, when they are at the, the level of reasonable suspicion, they can use force. Even, um, in, even in predominantly, say, blue states like California, New York. Um, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the agency that I work for, um, um, obviously, we have legal representation. The One of the lawyers went to speak with um, these two legislators that were authored this specific bill and asked them, hey, you know that these officers, if they have reasonable suspicion that a violent crime has just occurred, they can't detain anyone. If the people, they, now they can, they can command them, hey, police, stop, you are not free to leave. I can say that all day long, but I can't touch anyone. Mm-hmm. So if there is a uh, a shooting, if there is a stabbing, if there's a violent crime that is just committed at uh, the local mall or whatever, um, and I show up on scene and I believe, hey, that dude right there that's running away, he matches the description of the um, reporting party that called into dispatch, that's not enough for me to detain him. Now I can tell him, hey man, stop right there, police department, but he can start, he can keep running and I, and I can't touch him. Yeah, so interesting that they're protecting the the potential perpetrators' civil rights. And yes, this, yes. Know, but but everybody else who who who's been harmed by this said uh, potential perpetrator then is the one that pays the price. So that's that's us. That's the regular people. You know, the citizens that are just there. And yeah, that's that's disturbing. Yeah, man, it's jacked up. It is it is straight jacked up. When when this was coming to fruition, we we every. Every cop I know, their jaw was on the floor saying, I, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, we, we joke, um, you know, I, I, we joke inside the police stations, like, hey, just take your license plate off. Do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, as long right. as you're not killing someone or hurting someone, you, they, they can't chase you. Yeah. The, the, exe- the exemptions to um, put, um, vehicle pursuits in Washington state are DUI. So if they, if the officer fall or the trooper, or the, the deputy sheriff, whoever it may be behind you believes that you um, are inebriated or you're intoxicated, they can initiate a pursuit and pursue you. Or if you're shooting your gun outside the window and are, um, you know, an imminent, a current imminent or immediate threat to the, the public at large, then they can pursue you. But you can run stop signs. You can run into a vehicle mm-hmm. and keep driving away. You can do whatever you, you can speed. They can't is pursue this, you. Is this all because of, of what, what happened like back in, you know, May of, of 2020 with uh, the George Floyd incident, like our reaction with all the defund police movements that are happening kind of across. Yep. Yeah. You're exactly right. It is. And, and uh, it's frustrating that, uh, Hey man, I don't even need to say it, but Derek Chauvin was was straight wrong. He was he was wrong yeah. as wrong, right? And um, no question about it, dude should not have done what he did. Um, but he, he, 
that doesn't mean we all act in that manner. And you guys know this. Sure. I know that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's the frustrating piece is that there's this attempt to um, dissuade officers from acting in this manner uh, like like Shalvin did. And we we don't we don't do that, man. Uh, <laughs> kind of I, I was debating whether or not I'll share this, but uh, but I will. So um, I got my car washed uh, a couple, eh, probably about a month and a half ago um, in the kind of the jurisdiction that I work in. I went through the brown bear car wash and I'm drying off the windows, right? It's a warm day drying off. So there's, I don't get the water stains on the windows and a uh, UPS driver drives by. Uh, he's in a uh, UPS truck, you know, his uniform with a UPS hat on. And he, uh, he yells at me from across the street as he's driving by me. Hey, are you working right now? Are you on the clock? And I looked up like, uh, oh man, he just got like, somebody tried to like carjack him or, or, you know, or something. He's, so he needs, he needs police department. He needs police assistance. And I kind of, I kind of look at him right before I can say anything. He goes, get the fuck out of here. Pardon my language, but uh, he, you know, he said, Hey, you need to get out of here. And I was like, who? I look back like left and right. Like, like you talking, talking, talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? talking to <laughs> And so uh, he, he pulls over into a parking lot and, um, stops and I, and I finish up, uh, wash my car off or dry my car off. And, uh, I put out over the radio, Hey, I'll be on a citizen contact. And I figured, Hey, I'm just going to talk to this dude and see what his deal is. Let's see what's, see what's going on. And so I go over and talk with them and the guy's heated. He's like, uh, you know, when you see people yelling and they're so upset that their, their, their chest is going up and down they're yeah, and they're breathing. Yeah. He, yeah. He's yeah. breathing heavy. He, he was doing that. And I'm like, Hey, what's going on, man? What's the deal? I, I, I said, Hey, my name is Ryan. Uh, I work for this, this department and uh, obviously you've had a bad experience and I kind of laid in with, Hey, do, do you want me to speak to your supervisor? Do you speak to everyone like this? Like what's going on? And he said, I don't care if you do, you, we can call her right now. And I said, okay, well, it, to be honest, that's not really what I want to do. I'm going to chat with you. And uh, he, he started asking me how many times have I um, gotten in trouble for using excessive force? How many times have my partners been mad at me because I dimed them out. I snitched on them for using excessive force. And I was like, hold on, man, what, what's your name? And he, Greg, or I don't remember who it was, John, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I was like, Greg, hold on, man. The, the, you, you're, you're under the assumption that something occurs that does not occur. You, you, have, you have believed the media narrative that is flat out inaccurate. And uh, let me tell the answer to those questions is zero, zero times. Uh, we don't do that. We're not, we're not Derek Shallon. We don't want to do that. That's not what we want to do. And um, finally, we had a good conversation. He kind of started to calm down. Um, he wasn't breathing heavy anymore. And he looks at me and he says, well, you, you're, you're being really professional. And I was like, well, this is, this is normal, man. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know why you think it's not, or that I would act some different or in a different manner during this instance. And I got a car written and and uh he he hey but all some racist bad guy that wants to be heavy-handed and, and beat everyone up that's not the case at all yeah. a lot of us really enjoy helping people and, and making people's day better and that's why we got into this job and that's mm. kind of where i kind of left it with him and um I got back to my office and uh, one of my commanders walks in the office and says, Hey, everything. Okay. I was like, yeah, why? And I didn't tell anybody what had occurred. I, I didn't say, 
I didn't say anything. And uh, she's like, well, I just got a call from Greg from you. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. And she's, like, she's like, yeah. And he, she, he says that you need to be promoted right now. And that <laughs> you were very professional. And I explained everything to uh, my commander and she's like, well, good job. And I was like, but that's not, I mean, I wasn't that's looking no different for than any other. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like, and so uh, I had a talk with my chief uh, a, a few years back and um, we were talking about how things have changed and how things are different and how we kind of feel like we are, uh, it's just more difficult for us and everything's are harder. And he said, well, if you got to go one by one, if you got, if you got to make a difference and attempt to affect one person at a time, then do it that way. And so, yeah, that's a good point. That's good. that's good. You know, Ryan, what's interesting to me is that the, the fact of just the civility, the, the lack of civility and somebody yelling across the street in his business uniform, representing a corporation, yes. Could, yes. Could scream something like that to anybody let alone an officer of the law. And it's not illegal or anything like that, obviously, but the lack mm -hmm. of civility as individuals towards um, the men and women in uniform is just really shocking to me. Like how that it's gone so dramatically um, the direction that it has. And, and there's been, you know, maybe certain uh, pockets of, of uh, society that maybe have more aggressive feelings one way or the other towards the men yeah. of law enforcement, but the fact that that kind of is becoming tolerated and almost more, maybe not, hopefully not the norm, but, but is something that probably every police officer experiences unprovoked is really shocking and disheartening and sad. So I apologize that you and, and your uh, associates and stuff have to even deal with that. That, that makes me sad because I know what you guys put yourself under and, and put your life on the line often uh, on our behalf. So no worries, man. You know, a lot of us got thick skin and uh, gives us a little bit thicker skin. And so, um, you know, I, I drove away from that contact with that guy, Greg, and I think it was Greg. And like I said, it doesn't matter. But and uh, I just felt like, OK, well, hopefully, hopefully that helped. Hopefully he's got a better day. And, you know, and, and more importantly, the next contact he has with law enforcement, whether it's, uh, you know, whether he is it, things are looking good for him or they're not looking good for him maybe that will help, right? Maybe he'll, he'll go off of that last contact and say, okay, well, I had, I had a decent conversation with that last dude. Maybe, maybe this will, you know, springboard me into the more positive with this next officer, whoever it may be. I don't know. You know? Sure. And, and then he relays that to whatever his group is that he gets together with and bad mouse police officers and talks about yeah. good experience. Maybe yeah. he drops out yeah. of that group or they all change, or if he has kids, he talks differently about them in the future yeah. and that's perpetuated. Yeah. So Hopefully. yeah, that's, that's definitely the like, follow up question um, on something we were talking about previously, but being in um, involved in the greater Seattle police uh, community and culture, mm -hmm. we've heard about a rapid um, flight from Seattle police department. At least it sounds like it. they've lost, and I'll throw random numbers out, but I, I think it was somewhere between 20 and 30% of the police force over the course of the last 18 months, especially after the uh, Seattle city council has pushed for defunding or actually defunded the police. We've seen a, what, what seems to me an obvious correlation in the uptick in crime and violent crime and property crime. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there is a correlation, but I think most reasonable people would probably think that, that there is. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that? And, and what are you seeing 
A, with um, your peers leaving and moving on to, are they moving out of state? Are they moving to other in-state municipalities? Are they getting out of the profession as, as a whole? And, uh, and how much of the increase in crime that we're seeing on the front pages is a result of that decrease in policing? Yeah, you know, um, it's sad. It's a real sad situation. Um, I, I will tell you, I don't work for Seattle PD. That's that's not who I work for. Um, but it is, it's a real sad situation. They, and, and essentially it boils down to this. The officers there, and, and I do have friends that work there, the officers there don't feel appreciated. They don't feel that their um, boss's boss has their back. They don't, they, in fact, they feel quite the opposite. They feel as if um, uh, the, uh, the, the, head, the head honchos there in the city of Seattle don't, um, they think they're scum, right? And so that's why they're leaving in droves. And that's why um, they are bleeding numbers like they are, um, is because they, they don't want to be under that um, under that leadership any longer. Um, and yeah, the whole defund police thing, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely amazing. As I watched all of that occur, um, the summer of 2020, uh, and, and, and the way it was manifesting itself. And now, you know, it, it, city commissioners coming out and saying, you know, that probably wasn't the best idea, you know, that yeah. probably wasn't. And it's like, yeah, really? Like, come on. And, and, you know, now, you know, it's not Seattle, but it is Minneapolis. Now they're trying to hire more people. Mm -hmm. um, cities in Michigan are realizing, oh my gosh, what did we do? We need to hire more people because the crime rate has gone up. Now, criminals aren't stupid. Like, don't, don't think that. They're not dumb. They know that that officer, that black and white that used to drive by every day when I'd be on this corner no longer does that. They're not stupid. They know that they can relax a little bit. They can push out their um, their um, sphere of influence a little bit. They're, they can prey on this person or, or these um, um, uh, places of employment or whatever the case may be. They know that. So it, it's sad. And, and it's sad that it's happening in Seattle. Um, is it true to they say that those communities that are most apt to experience or, or, or that see higher levels of crime actually would prefer not to see the police defunded, but are often calling for increased police presence in their communities. Uh, at least that's a lot of the reports that I've seen. And yeah. so it seems to me like it's a lot of people maybe less impacted by crime that are calling for this stuff with those who are actually impacted pretty dramatically or have been, uh, aren't calling for a defunding of police, but increased I mean, do you hear that boots on the street? Is that feedback that you're getting or, you know, or, or is that not true? No, I, I, I would believe that. I couldn't tell you, um, you know, one way or the other on that, to be yeah. honest. I, I don't have people telling me that, but I have read some of those same articles that you are uh, sourcing there and that's, yeah. or similar articles. I've read that exact same thing. So I would imagine that um, that is in fact, there's some, measurable level of truth to that right uh yeah it is shocking doug and, and sorry I, uh, this is my last comment on it um but it, it's shocking to me that reasonable people couldn't see and it, it was a short-lived experiment it seems like as far as defunding the police reducing police size 
moving to social work. Well, they're still working on that, right? I'm dispatching mm-hmm. social workers for a lot of um, types of uh, incidents, domestic uh, domestic incidences and whatnot, but that they couldn't see the fact that if you reduce the police presence, you reduce, reduce police force, you reduce funding, you demonize the people who try to keep law and order and the peace, uh, that the obvious byproduct is going to be increase in criminal activity, right? I mean, that's reasonable. Yes. People can see that. And I, I can't understand how these people that we put in positions of power, um, especially in a lot of our large cities around the United States, can get away with being so, uh, I, don't, I don't know the right term and I don't want to be offensive, but it, it's just so obvious. That how do they get away with it and then keep their jobs, right? Because people, it's a difference of life and death. Right. You've got increased yeah. life. It's an increase in people's safety. It's an increase in in um, how their their quality of life, how they go about the day, how safe they feel. And uh, it, it seems like there should be repercussions. But for some reason, these people continue to get voted in and people of their ilk. And it, it's shocking. It's just shocking to me. But I, I completely agree with you. And you know what, man, I, I don't have the answer. I, I don't understand either. Um but I'm right there with you on that. And I've made those same exact observations and uh, spoken with coworkers about that same thing. And I, and I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Hey, my, I, oh, sorry, Randy. No, you go, you go. I'm talking. Right, I really like the, the anecdote with uh, the UPS driver. I think that's, that speaks a lot to your character and, and kind of what I think a lot of uh, your coworkers and associates probably feel as well. Um, that that one-on-one professional contact it goes a long way what other ways do you see some of this discord uh, that kind of is occurring in our country between the police and uh, in their community as well as like city councils and their police forces what can we do what can what can the average person understand about how this discord could be kind of assuaged a little bit or or kind of taken from a boiling point maybe simmer down a little bit do you have any thoughts yeah yeah um you know aside from you know the the thing that i've already shared earlier in regards to you know whenever you have that one-on-one i'll tell you what man i have one-on-one contacts obviously um fairly frequently and rarely are they um negative you know rarely are they um uh, this strife with um, uh, cursing and yelling at me and, and people um, super upset with, with law enforcement. This doesn't happen very often, right? Um, in fact, what I was just telling my friend the other day, you know, uh, w- where I work, I've had a lot more citizens walking up to me saying, hey, thank you for what you do. I appreciate what you do. Keep it up. It's not mm-hmm. easy. And, and things of that nature, that is happening more frequently all at the same time when all of this other crap is occurring, right? Yeah. When all these things you see uh, on the media and these stories about defunding the police and um, uh, is, is happening. And I think that, you know, everybody, I, I hear these things, you know, I, a lot of them are on social media. So take that with a grain of salt, right? But I see stories about, um, you know, this officer did this, this officer um, stole, this officer is corrupt. This officer is racist. And, um, I, 
I don't know. I, I'm still going to stick to my guns on this. I don't know those people. Sure. I don't know those officers that engage in those behaviors and, and that um, subscribe to um, that specific mindset. Like, I, I don't know those people. Yep. And so it's super frustrating for me and some of my peers and my coworkers when we see these things, because we're saying, what, what, what is occurring here? Like what, what happened? And it comes back to uh, sound hiring practices, right? And um, sound retention, right? When you, when you have hired someone that you realized, oh, I probably shouldn't have hired this person, then you need to take the appropriate steps to get rid of that person in, in this line of work. And um, we is are that tough, it, Is that tough to do with the union? Uh, is the union strong enough that they will make it really challenging to get rid of somebody, even a, a bad, you know, maybe a quote unquote bad police officer? So I, I would say no to that. And here's why, okay. because I have seen where officers have done something and the union has come out and said, we can't defend you on that, man. Like yeah. we, we, we can't, we don't have your back on that. The chief has said X and you've decided to do Y. We, we can't protect you on that. Um, and, and in this case, that officer was, was in fact fired. So, um, yet I would say no to that, right? If, if, and I don't see chiefs and administrators and administrative staffs and command staffs going after officers willy nilly for, um, no reason or without cause. Right. And I think if that were to be the case, or if there was a very, um, very, uh, um, I don't know, difference of opinion or, or different um, thought processes and what has actually occurred, then yeah, the union's going to step up and try to protect the officer. But uh, yeah. I, but I, it's I not true. That. It's not true. The idea that bad officers are insulated and protected by the union and don't, and there is no, you know, you hear that about a lot of jobs or a lot of different yeah. professions where you're like, well, they can't be fired even if they're horrible at their job because the union protects them, et cetera. Just wondering if if that's your experience or if that's what you've seen when you do see police officers that maybe aren't aren't great um, or aren't aren't the best for the force. Do you, is it possible for them to be fired or let go, or or is yeah. there, are they insulated or protected from that? Well, see, I, I would say um, there is some insulation and protection there, absolutely. Um, but I I don't see it being. Um, um, out of line or, or, or out, they're, they're certainly not out of reach, right? So if you have officers that are uh, corrupt or, or stealing or are racist or um, infringing upon um, citizens' rights, then yeah, they're, they're going to be fired. And the union, the union doesn't want to protect them on that, right? Uh, but if you have somebody that, uh, I don't know, may not be as fit as another officer um, or is gaining a little too much weight, um, then the, the the chief or the command staff can't fire them for that, right? I mean, sure. we do have physical standards that you need to be able to um, be able to attain and, and maintain. Um, but yeah, there's a process for that, right? And so, yeah. But any any um, any misconduct, certainly um, any uh, criminal offenses, yeah. There's there's nothing that the union can do. My experience, right? And I'm yeah, sure that good. there are certainly um, exceptions to that. Yeah, but you know, you've been in multiple uh, multiple departments, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in the greater Northwest area in your in your time. So, you know, it, it's pretty understandable and valuable. You've got interacted with uh, various unions. So, I mean, your experience yeah. kind of speaks for itself. Um, what else on on uh, policing, Randy? You want to want to chat about, or, or you want to? I know we, Ryan did some time 
in Afghanistan and Iraq. Be interested to hear his thoughts on what's happening uh, there now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, Ryan. Thanks good. so much for your, um, yeah, you got it, man. everything you shared on the policing front. I know that's something that um, we've all been, uh, I think anybody listening to this and most of the American citizens have been um, paying attention to somewhat, even yeah. periphery, uh, obviously with everything going on, but, and I'm sure we could talk and have a lot more questions, but I'd love to get your insight, like Doug said, to the extent you're comfortable, because I know for a lot of service men and women, it's uh, a bit of a, a difficult subject and still trying to wrap your head around everything going on. But as far as Afghanistan, I think you said in the intro that you had done a tour there um, and just would love to get your kind of feeling of everything going on. Do you have a, anything you'd be comfortable sharing or expressing as far as what we've seen the last week there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh it's absolutely incredible. I I'm, I'm, brokenhearted for a couple different uh groups of uh persons right first and foremost the the afghan people right that that were not living under um the rule of the taliban you know prior to now they um they had enjoyed that several year hiatus from uh taliban and uh you know they're they're imparting sharia law again and um you know it, it the 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 scenes and the images and the videos that we've seen on the news and and whatnot of you know people riding on the on the C-17s those the C-17 Globemaster as it's taxiing down the runway and at the Kabul airport and then they stayed on them I mean when that when the plane took off and they're falling from the sky because for whatever reason they risked their they they felt like I'm going to give this a shot because it's better than the alternative. And that's what's absolutely so confounding to me, right? Um, so it's super awful. And I feel it's just bad, bad situation. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was talking to my girlfriend and she's like, what about, what about the armed services persons that lost a limb in Afghanistan? That the parents of these, yeah, you know, yeah. The gold star families. Yeah, the gold star family members that lost, you know, a sailor or an airman or a marine or a soldier in Afghanistan. And it, are they thinking this is all in vain now? And, you know, she's having these thoughts and we're having this conversation. And I was like, ah, that's, I, I didn't even think about that, you know, and that that's, that's tough. And I, I, you know, I'm reading things on social media with guys that I serve with saying, you know, uh, the president's to blame for all this. This is awful. Uh, our service was in vain. And, and I don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel that the service was in vain. I, I, in, you, you go as a soldier, as a, as a airman, as a sailor, as a Marine, you go where you're told to go and you don't, you don't have any choice in that. And, and to say that it's in vain or it's all for not, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not there. Um, but it is, it's super sad, man. And, and the, these people that are going to have to live under this tyrannical rule um, of the Taliban. And I, I just, not good, man. Not, not good at all. And I, and I, I feel it's just such a, it's an awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, what do you, what's your sense? You, you spent time in the military as well, your, your entire career in the military. And uh, you and I haven't got a chance to, to, 
discuss it really at all. Yeah, really I, I'm, to- I'm torn. I've been listening to uh, some different folks and their perspectives on it. And uh, so I, I don't, I don't want to steal anybody's thoughts that aren't mine. So I'll try to give their people their propers when I, when I quote them. But um, I do think that the president was made probably a really hard choice. Like, and, and I think a lot of times presidents just do the easy thing and they just, ah, we'll just keep it going. Nah, eh, it's fine. Um, so I think that was a hard choice. And I, I don't think that it was made lightly. I don't think it was made um, carelessly. And I don't think it was a cop out of any sort. I don't know that it was executed to the right level that it could have been, but uh, I don't know that what staying in Afghanistan for three more months or so, what it was going to do to the end result. Clearly, if you've trained in an army and a military in the Afghan National Defense Force for uh, 19 years, and, and then you leave and they, they collapse in this space of uh, weeks or a week, then um, that's a, that's a, that says a lot about um, kind of our priorities and, and how we were, we as a nation, uh, were, were doing uh, that sort of prep work. Because I don't think anybody ever thought, oh, well, we're going to be here for forever. Because that was, that was never an option, but 19 years is a long time. And if this yeah. is the end result that we hand it right back to the Taliban, just with better weaponry, uh, it's really frust- it's frustrating from an American taxpayer, from a service, a retired service member. I spent time in Afghanistan doing work there, flown with folks that, you know, I, anyway, that did, did a lot of work there. Um, and it, it's, a, it's, it's very heart-wrenching to see um, the scenes from the airports. It's heart-wrenching to see... Um, you know, what has happened there to that, to that country, um, in, in such a short period of time. And I think they looked at America like, Hey, you guys, what are you going to do now? Are you going to help us? And at some level you have to say, well, we can't anymore. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the hardest, that's the hardest point. Now, what breaks my heart is that the, the, hu- the humanity of it all, you know, mm-hmm. the, the tragic, yeah things that are going to happen, the stories with social media, there's gonna be a lot more of that than there was, you know, in 1999 and 2000, 2001, because we never, we never saw any of that because social media didn't exist. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but also um, trying to figure out, Hey, if this is now a new breeding ground for uh, potential terrorists, that's the reason we went there to begin with. Um, I'm really hopeful that America doesn't do that again. We, We, we start this, these issues, these interventions, if you will, um, you have to begin with the end in mind. And I don't think we've done that very well historically. So I would like to see some, some sort of change in that, in that regard. Um, like, Hey, we're going to do this, but here's our, here's our way to get out. If we have to do it. Um, can I ask you a question real quick on that, that I didn't understand is that, um, again, a civilian and not really having any background in the military other than, enjoying some military-esque movies, but uh, is why we've got a presence and we've got bases in many countries that we, we um, let's say like after World War II that we had, had not conquered, but what, whatever, beaten in war. And we maintained a presence there, right? We've got many bases in Germany. Where yeah, Japan, it was part of, the, part of the treaty. Yeah. Southeast Asia, Europe, yep. Yeah, and I guess I don't understand why, especially with the amount of turmoil that's constantly in the Middle East, we know that's where our primary, um, you know, terrorists that would plan to attack us would be planning their attacks. Uh, why would we not keep some sort of presence 
there, even if it's not a full blown, you know, military, would we, I don't know what we have like 2,500 troops or something, but my understanding is the last death military death in Afghanistan was February, 2020, I think. So it'd been almost 18 months. So it wasn't really a military hotspot as it was. Why wouldn't we maintain a presence there? Do you know? Do you have some insight on that? So you, Doug. <laughs> um, I think that we don't want to be an occupying force. Like that is just that's the way that's the way it, way it was. I think that you you should draw a distinction between like we we didn't keep a force in it when we when Vietnam happened. We didn't keep a force in Vietnam. I mean we. That's that's not something we did. We, well, we still have a bunch of troops on the South Korea, North Korea border, right? Yeah, and, yeah, we do. And I think we we have stayed there uh, at at the request slash um, forceful request, I think, of of our country. It serves our national interest. That's really what yeah. it comes down to, Randy. Totally. It serves our national interest. And, and if it doesn't serve our national interest, then we're not going to do it. The, hence, the there's all sorts of terrible things that happen in, in Africa as well as you know the the stands in South America, but we don't always go to those hotspots to to intervene because oftentimes yeah. that doesn't serve interest. It's callous to say, but it's kind of the truth. Uh, well, I so, mean, the, the president so much he said that right. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, serve yeah. the natural interest, yeah, national interest. Yeah. But so I guess I, would, I, I guess that's where my my I, I'm a bit um, confused is because it seems like this does serve the natural na our national interest if we're talking about Al Qaeda repurposing or, or re um, taking space in, uh, in uh, Afghanistan and, and other possible terrorist organizations having a-, a I, I think it was, there was an agreement, I, I believe that uh, we had set up with the Afghan national government that mm -hmm. said, we are, we will not stay here perpetuity in perpetuity. Like, yeah. I think there was something yeah. like that. So I don't, I, it's a good question. I don't, I don't have uh, a direct answer Specific. No, yeah, and it, it, it was just something I was I was kind of pondering that I didn't I didn't really understand that well, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of analysis and books written on it. But the other thing that I, I was really, I think most people, because I I agree, and everything that I've read, people I've talked to, I think as a nation, the average citizens' um, patience for being in Afghanistan, uh, the amount of lives and blood that was spilled there, the amount of dollars to go there. I think it, everybody for the most part was ready to get out. I think the numbers show that, right? It's like 70, 80%. It's, it's a pretty high number that wanted to be done in Afghanistan. I think the sad part where most people are really confused is how poorly the exit was executed, right? The fact that you still got how many thousands of American citizens in there when Kabul was, was taken um, the, the fact that our brightest military minds couldn't project that and, and you know, um, keep troops in there until they got them out or, or whatever, it just, yeah. I think that's what's mind boggling a little yep. bit. It's hard no, to wrap. wrap it is hard to wrap around. your brain around it. It is hard to understand. It, it, it was an awful, an awful situation. And I don't think it was handled perfectly by any stretch. I just know, I think when potentially when we look back and we say, hey, we're, we're no longer there, um, you know, in five, 10, 15 years, uh, I hope that we're no longer there. I hope we don't yeah. get back in uh, without uh, a plan to get get out. Um, it's it going to be looked upon as as a very challenging decision, but a maybe a, a one one that will be um, that will reflect well, I hope. Yeah, it had to be yeah. made, had to be made. And yeah, it wasn't, couldn't have been an easy one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's and again, it's super easy to to second guess 
all this stuff. You've been listening to Crystal and Sagar, I'm sure, here and yeah. there, their comments on, on uh, you know, how easy it is to second guess and how people, as soon yeah. as the office switched over from Republican to Democrat, it then became very, you know, out of, out of vogue to be like, you're doing what? You're going to leave the people? And it was like, oh, well, yeah. it was kind of, Trump was going to do that too, but now, you know. Anyway. It's interesting to see the media narrative turn on it a yeah. little bit, though. Yeah. I would, I'd be, I'm really surprised by that, that even those publications or those, um, yeah, publications, yeah. websites. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of negative, yeah, negative even, press, right? Yeah. yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm really surprised about that. So I, I don't know what to make of it, but uh yeah, be interesting to see our thoughts and prayers, obviously, with everybody. For sure. It's really sad to see. But, right to touch on something you had said really quick, I think this is my feeling is, you know, 20 years in Afghanistan, I, I hope nobody ever feels or soldiers wouldn't feel that in any way it was a waste or that families would feel that. 20 years of experiencing or whatever it was after the U.S. overtook uh, and, and conquered the Taliban, the, those years of peace and and relative safety for the most part and um, having individual freedoms and rights that people were able to experience um, that's that's something unique that they hadn't before um, the amount of girls that were going to school and getting education and were taking part place in politics you know hopefully long term those are something that that they realize are worth fighting for yeah and that it does make really significant changes in the lives and quality of lives of those people and that's that's because of what the men and women of the military did over there so i hope you know everybody can feel really proud about the impact that was made even though yeah. it's, it's sad to see probably some steps backwards but you know yeah history marches on and, and it'll be viewed and and uh yeah it could be still super impactful so yeah, for sure. Well, um, this... can, we, can we do a couple quick hitters before we have to let Ryan go here? Do it. All right. Yep. Ryan, uh, how are the Hawks going to be this year? Real fast. It's got to be like 30 seconds or less. Hawks, um, Hawks are going to do good, man. Russell Wilson is in his prime. Okay. He just needs uh, uh, Gabe Jackson and crew to give him a little bit of time. Then he's going to get the ball to DK. Chris Carson's going to be a steamroller. Okay. Um, they will be good this year. How many wins? Uh, they have 17 games this year. Remember? Seventeen. Uh, games. So yeah. Go. Yeah, dude. I don't know, man. I, okay. I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, that, that division is going to be tough. Well, it's going to be so tough, right? They're going to beat up on each other. I, I yeah. Nine wins. I'm saying nine, nine and eight. That doesn't nine. get them in. Do you think doesn't. that gets no, them in? No, it doesn't. I, I don't think they're, I think they're on the, the down, downswing. Sorry. But you didn't ask me. Uh, all right, Brian, what, are you, what are you reading these days or streaming? What are you watching? What are you, what are you reading? Yeah, uh, I uh, read probably the most books I've uh, read this year. Um, I guess my favorite one so far is uh, Imagine Heaven by John Burke. You guys need to check that out. Um, I, I, need a, I need a new book right now, though, because I'm, I'm in between. I, I just finished uh, uh, 1984, um, which was a dumpster fire of crap <laughs> awful most awful thing ever why anybody be, talks about that book i have no clue why but. i haven't read it i started it but couldn't get into it um did you oh, not why? like you, could, so, you couldn't get into it <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean is it just did, you read it all is it just a difficult read is it just dark and gloomy is it yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and did it hit and, home too much? And you're and that's... <laughs> no, 
for the record, I I I, uh, I listened to it on um, equi- the equivalent of like Audible, right? So I was listening yeah. to it, um, and I've heard so many people reference that book over the years and in in my adulthood, and I'm like, I gotta I gotta figure this thing out. So I listened to it. I'm like, what in the holy hell that I just listened to? Uh, yeah, yeah, all that man. It's dark. It's it's gloomy. It, there's uh, very few redeeming uh, characteristics in it. It's just. It's it's negative. That's uh, sort of the point, right? And that's yeah, sort of the point yeah, yeah. The... I mean, it's yeah, it's outlining uh, a tyrannical, controlling, awful government and what it entails and what they it's dystopian uh, world. Yes, know. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that, um, but I need another one. So if you guys have any uh, suggestions for me, but what am I streaming? I'm watching uh, Turn on Netflix. Turn is a. You guys know that one. Randy's not to said yet. What's the first season? My wife um, is really interested in the Revolutionary War. Yes. And yeah. uh, teaches on it in her fifth grade class. So she got me into nice. it. Yeah. yeah, very good. So as a history nerd, I'm, I'm eating it up. It's great. It talks about the, the spies in the Revolutionary War, um, specifically one that is working for uh, General Washington and his staff. And, and it's, and it, and it's um, I mean, it's, it's nonfiction, but I, I'm, I'm assuming they take various creative license throughout but it's it's on on its um premise it's it's uh, it's true it's legit so it's mm. cool nice awesome good stuff man right awesome to uh to catch up with you and thank you for for sharing your experience it's i don't think a lot of Anytime. people get the opportunity to hear from a peace officer and and understand like that you know your person and you think very deeply about what you do for a profession so Really appreciate you uh, making time. We're Hogwash and Hooey today, man. Thanks. You got it. I'm uh, very excited to be on Hogwash and Hooey, and I'll be joining you guys next week too. So that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> You're always invited. Just kidding. Just yeah. Kidding. No, we'd love to love to have you back. I mean, you'll be our resident um, expert when it comes to all these topics, and we can get your input. And and uh, yeah, thank you for your service. Thanks for your service daily, and and. Um, you know, that the men and women that you're surrounded by that do everything they can to, to protect us. We're so grateful. Um, yeah. So th- thanks again for what you do. I know you don't get a lot of that probably, but well, I think thanks, the majority man. of us are, I, I, I really do. I think the majority of people are, it's just, unfortunately it's the fringes that tend to be the most outspoken and, and, uh, and hurtful and, and whatnot, but I appreciate all you guys do. And please uh, relay that to, uh, your associates coming up. Yeah. We've got, thanks for being our first interview too. So we've got Brian Causey coming up in the next couple weeks and uh, a couple others that we have been planning on doing. And we took a bit, bit of a sabbatical, but uh, we look forward to having a couple, couple great interviews, but thanks for kicking us off the right way, Ryan. You got it, man. Thanks fellas. I appreciate it. I'll see uh, how you guys compare to uh, Rogan when I'm on there next week. <laughs> yeah. Right. Good. <laughs> Go do it, man. That's it. Yeah. Do, you, do you listen to Rogan? Uh, usually, um, if somebody says, hey, check out this episode, I'll do that. But um, his episode is so dang long, man. I, I, I don't sit in there for his three hours and listen to the whole thing. Um, yeah. It's like two a day. It'll do like yeah. seven, eight a week. And they're it's three, crazy. three and a half hours long. Amazing, man. Nuts. Man, if yeah, only dude. he was getting that. I hope he's getting paid well for it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like a $100 million Maybe. contract from Maybe. Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good you guys stuff. need to get up there. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I start. think we're both we're sticking to our day job. We're just grateful for a chance to get together and, and chat every 
every week. So yeah. I appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Always good to see Thanks, you. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Thanks Derek. Ryan. See you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. See ya. Bye. Bye. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N.